Amen. Give my lovely wife a hand there. Great job. Thank you. I'm so excited to uh, be with each and every one of you this morning. I have to, to just stop and, and say a very special friend of mine is here today. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Bishop Wright, Reverend <laughs> uh, David Young is the pastor of Grace Baptist Church. He and his lovely wife and little girl here. Would you guys stand over there? Everybody give them a hand this morning. Thrilled to have them. Great, great brother in the city. We have some good fellowship. Um, I also want to recognize all of those that are, that are first responders in our congregation, paramedics, EMTs, firemen, policemen. Who, who, who's here? Would you guys stand? I know we've got some. David over there, Charlie, who else? Yeah, Joe, let's give these guys a hand. You, yes, thank you so much. You may be seated. We appreciate you. You guys are still heroes, ongoing heroes. If it hadn't, hadn't been for your kind uh, at the, the site 10 years ago, obviously made a, a great deal of difference. Uh, I'd like us to bow our heads this morning just for a moment as we pray and begin this time in the Word. Almighty God, we thank you for this day around the world, especially in America. People are gathered in remembrance, in moments of silence for the thousands of lives that were lost on this fateful day 10 years ago. We will not forget or the tragedy that struck this nation. We choose to remember, Lord, the grief that struck our hearts the churches that were filled to capacity for the weeks and the months that followed. God, we cry out to you right now for the comforting power of the Holy Spirit to be upon those families who lost loved ones, and we pray for the peace of God to be in the borders of this nation. We ask you to raise up godly leaders on the local and the state and the federal level. Whether or not we personally cast our vote for those in places of leadership, we obey your word in 1 Timothy 2 to remember all of those in authority. And we pray for our president, for our congressmen and women, our senators. Lord, for those in the judicial branch sitting on the Supreme Court. Lord, our governor, our mayor of this, this town of Marion, West Memphis, and the communities around us. We just ask you, O oh God, that righteousness would rule, that you would touch the hearts of these men and women, that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, grant us the wisdom and the guidance of God that we would cry out to you and we would stand in the gap and be a generation of intercessors. And Lord, we, we, we can look at the pages of church history and see when there were those that were raised up to stand in the gap and an Ezekiel company that would cry out to the Lord. And God, we do that in this moment right now. Touch this city, touch the Delta. We cry out to you, Lord, for breaking the strongholds of poverty and ignorance and indifference and apathy and racism. Lord, denominational prejudice, all of these things that exist all over this community. God, we cry out to you that you break the back of materialism and greed and the spirit of abortion in this country. Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name that you, you bless these men and women who stood just a moment ago. Protect them, our policemen and our firemen and women and our firefighters and our paramedics and EMTs and all these first responders, Lord, that step into the place in harm's way. Bless these people in this congregation, all of those in this city this morning as they're being honored. Lord, we thank you for them. Bless their lives. Keep them safe and bless their homes and families. We just cry out to you today and ask you to touch this nation once again. Lord, we're not great because of who we are, but we're great because of who you are. 
We ask you, Lord, that the foundations not be destroyed. The righteous can do. And let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We ask you for this in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. Amen. Our God is king. The text this morning is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. As they put that up, I'd like for you to read it out loud with me, please. Let's do it together. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. The series that we began last Sunday is called In God We Trust. It is marked upon the bills every time we pay a bill, buy a meal, go through the line at Walmart, anytime we use currency that has been printed and backed by our federal government, fortunately, to this day, it still remains printed and stamped upon our coinage and on our bills. It was the determination of those and the spirit of the founders that said that we would be a nation that would not put our trust in our ability to, with our own hands and our ingenuity, to form and fashion our future. We are a, a nation of destiny. We are a people of destiny. And we are that because of the hand of God that has rested upon us. I am not a gloom and doom prophet. I do believe that it is important that we see with our eyes wide open the very, very grave and sobering time that we are in as a nation, just in the direction that we're headed, not toward any particular philosophical or ideological political idea, because I'm convinced that it really doesn't matter which party's in control, because basically one, they're both headed over the cliff. One has their foot on the brake and the other one has their foot on the, the gas, one party's just headed over the cliff a little faster than the other one is. But they're basically leading us in a direction where the state is becoming God. We, we as a nation are more and more ceasing to recognize that the God above all gods, capital G, is the God which we serve. And many times it's the God of the state. It's the God of the federal, it's the nanny state. It's the federal government which we are looking to to provide for our needs. And as believers, as Bible-believing Christians that are laboring to build a distinctively Christian biblical worldview, we must return to an understanding of what it means to have Jesus Christ, the Lord of our finances. I've, in 20 years of ministry here at Victory, have probably not done three series on finances. And I just want to tell you, I really don't enjoy it's, it's a personal thing in my own life. I, I, I grew up in church. I, I had a, a musical gift that developed at a very young age, started playing in church by the time I was 10. And we were involved in a church in Memphis that had had a great move of God. Some of the finest Bible teaching that I've ever heard in my life by Dr. Paul N. Grubb was his name. Tremendous worship, presence of God moving and flowing, lives being transformed and changed. But then when it came time to build a building, they so overbuilt, it's not even in existence anymore. They so overbuilt that when the huge balloon payments would roll around quarterly, that literally we would go through weeks of seeing services that it would take an hour to an hour and a half just to take the offering. Now, I don't know if you guys understand what I'm saying. We program our services around here to be about 75 minutes, an hour 15. We're not clock-eyed Christians either. 
Spirit of God is moving. I'm not, I don't, I don't, you know, we, we, we do our best to, to put something out here, but the presence of God is, is dominant. It is primary. If there's something moving, then I'm not even going to the least bit apologize because I preached 45 minutes instead of 35. And so I just, I just want you to know that it's not about a thing about being clock-eyed. But when you're sitting in a service and you've got worship that goes 45 minutes and you take an offering for an hour and a half and then they preach for an hour, by the time you do get home, you're ready for a Sunday afternoon nap. <laughs> and I had so much of that pulling for money. And I just want to confess to you right now, I don't know what you think about this. And you can just go ahead and make the decision to forgive me. I watch very, very little Christian television because I can't stand it. I, I just can't stand the constant pulling for money. It's just some of these guys, it's just the incongruence between taking the last little $3 from the little widow who's living on her Social Security pension and, and she's sending her little tithe into this ministry and the dude's flying around in the latest Learjet and, and driving a Bentley or a Rolls Royce. And I'm just sorry. I, I believe God wants his people to be blessed. I believe his servants ought to be blessed. But I'm going to tell you something. I just believe if the congregation's eating beans and the pastor shouldn't be eating filet mignon. I just believe that we ought to be kind of serving and working together. Just the way we do church is so different than the way a lot of folks do it. And I'm, let me just tell you, I don't think we've got a better revelation of it. This is just my personal conviction. We will never, even in our new building on our 30 acres that's sitting out there paid for, we will never build a great big building and have a bunch of throne chairs on the platform where the pastors sit up and are above the rest of the congregation. we got pastors that are sitting out here, youth and children's and an executive pastor. I just believe that the pastor is first a sheep before he's a shepherd. And when it comes time for the anointed word to come, he rises up out of the congregation as one of the people and he ascends to the place of the sacred desk. And by the word of the Lord, he, pre he preaches and projects the word that brings change. Not because he's seated up here. And let me just say this to you. This, that's just a traditional way that it's always been done. And if you like that, then great, have at it. But that's not the way we do it at Victory. I'm a sheep. I'm just one of you. I struggle just like you do. The amazing thing, T.D. Jakes said this, and I say it all the time because it's just so powerful to me. He said this. He said, the amazing thing is, is that while God has called me to preach the gospel of transformation, all the while I'm preaching it, he's still at work doing the job of finishing the transformation in my very own life. So I'm not up here as an answer man with Something because I'm different or any better than you. Let me tell you something. I'm a brother in the faith, con literally wrestling and contending for the faith, just like you are. Trying, when I say contending, I don't necessarily mean involving myself in a theological battle. I'm just trying to wrestle it out and work out my salvation, what God has worked in me to will and do of his own good pleasure. When I realize that God has called me, let me review for a couple of minutes just last week's message. We started this series called In God We Trust, and last, last week was called Kingdom Entrepreneurs. God was the first entrepreneur because he made the initial investment. Theologians say ex nihilo, out of nothing. Literally, it was out of God himself that he spoke a creative word, and out of nothing, something came to be. God said, light be, and light was. Spirit and word. Wind over water. Genesis 1-2. The Spirit of God is hovering over the creation. Spirit of God in, in the new creation the same way hovers over you in your deadness. And then the word goes forth and God speaks and he calls you out of death into life. 
And then he calls you into life that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So God creates and he recreates and he does that by the two elements every time, the spirit and the word, the the wind over the water. God raises up a creation. He finishes everything. He steps back and then he says, now I have to put the crown upon it. And he makes man, male and female, he creates them in his image. He sets them down into a perfect environment where everything that they will ever need has already been thought of and provided for before they were ever, let me say it this way, born. Before they were ever created, God set them down into an environment where everything was already set in place and provided. What is it? Verse 28, 29, 30 of Genesis 1. And every seed-bearing plant God gave to them. There was the ability there within the garden, inherent, built into the program, the way God designed it, was for Adam to be able to enjoy everything that was in that garden, all of the trees that were out there in that garden. God basically said, every time you eat an apple off that one tree, there are multitudes of apples with seeds inside of them and the ability to continue to reproduce everything that you can possibly desire. God has an answer for that. And what I've tried to tell you last Sunday was that if you can see this, God has sovereignly, by his decree, put you down into your garden of circumstances, your life that's filled with all of these trees of potential and opportunities and problems. Your problem is not your problem, but what you think about your problem is the problem. Because within every problem, there are the seeds to its own solution. And if you go shaking those trees, you see that out there in the garden, there was all kinds of wisdom and technology that Adam had to learn through trial and error because God created a universe that was based upon this principle of cause and effect. And if it first doesn't succeed, then you try, try again. And when you obey, when you do what God says, then there is the blessing, the favor of God upon that. What, what Adam didn't realize was that there were... There were microwaves and there were cell phones hanging in those trees out there, but he, didn't know, he did not know how to access it. There was the cure for cancer in the plants. There was provision of shelter and food in the trees. Somebody cut them down and started a building industry. Somebody killed an animal and ate the food and took the skins and clothed their back. And everything that Adam needed was provided right there in the garden itself. What I'm trying to challenge you to see is that in the middle of your own personal environment, God has put something on the inside of you in the way of talent and skill and given you a mark of time and life, given you a drive and motivation for you to begin to, through inventive thinking and creative ideas, because God has made you a co-creator with himself, to come up with new ideas that meet the need Was it George Washington, one of our founders, that said necessity is the mother of invention? Too many times we're faced with circumstances where we just continue to let things happen as they are when God is wanting to stir us up and birth a new idea into us that will not only totally change an industry or the way you do life or your family or your business, but will actually bring blessing upon you and multiply economic resources into your life, not just so you can be blessed and be rich yourself, but so the kingdom of God can be advanced through you. Money is the strange thing that Jesus himself said. It's the only thing that he said, you cannot serve God and. Everything else we understand, you can't serve God in power. You can't serve God in sin. You can't serve God in sex. 
But money has an alluring factor to it in that it draws you in. And Paul talks about people that pursue it and want to get rich and that are they're entrapped because of it. I grew up a couple of generations prior to me always misquoting the scripture out of 1 Timothy that Paul wrote. And he said, you know, people always say, well, money's the root of all evil. And that's not what the Bible says. It's the love of it. And how many of you know you don't have to have any of it to love it? Too many times, you know, in some of our heritage and our background, it's all about poor folks that are supposed to be more spiritual. Let me tell you, I've seen some poor folks that be just as mean as anybody else. <laughs> Ask the Hatfields and the McCoys. And it's not about switching it to the other side, which we presently see in America, where we've taken the scripture, where godliness with contentment is great gain, and we've turned that around and we've started worshiping at the altar of the almighty dollar, and we get the idea that really the only indicator of the favor of God in your life is if you have a lot of money. And so we, we, go, we swing the pendulum from a poverty theology on one side, by the way, which has a lot of scriptures to substantiate that kind of thinking, and we swing it all the way to the other side into a prosperity theology, and we make God a heavenly slot machine, plug in our tithe, and ching ding 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 Now, I'm just, I'm thinking that's how it works, because I've never actually plugged money. <laughs> really, I haven't. You know, for a long time, I could say my tires have never rolled down into Tunica, but I did go eat down there one time. <laughs> Hadn't yet plugged a slot machine, no money, so whatever. You make up your mind about that yourself. That's not what the message is about. Somebody said, thank God, move on, Pastor. <laughs> How many know God cares about your money? Do you know that Jesus talked about money more than he did prayer and hell combined? When you, when you search the scriptures and you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you see, and you, you also see where he speaks to John in the book of Revelation and how people are handling, handling things, because thou sayest you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, but I say you're blind and naked. He talks about one guy getting one, one guy getting two, one guy getting five talents. That doesn't mean, okay, let's see, I can sing and I can paint and I'm, I'm mechanical. Well, you know, that's not true of me. I'm not mechanical. I'm at the mercy of tradesmen. But he, um, anyway, so all these things that I can do, it's not talking about skills and abilities, but it's talking about managing resources, amounts of money. A talent was a specific amount of gold. It was like a $100 bill. And so he's talking about those that are faithful in little being faithful in much. And when we begin to realize this, we must understand that God has called us to be stewards because God himself is the initial, the first entrepreneur. He made an investment. He took the risk. He himself is a giver. Point number one, the Lord has given us this law. The law of love is giving. Everybody say that with me. The law of love is giving. It's the first law. Well, where do you get that? Say it with me. For God so loved that he, he gave. God is a giver. God gives out of himself. The first law of love is, is giving. Your marriage won't work if you go into it 50-50. Because if both of you are just halfway giving yourself to the other one, you're going to have a marriage that's about half no good. Everybody say 100-100. Both of you have to give 100%. Your whole heart, your whole life, your love, your commitment, your fidelity, your, your determination, your encouragement. It works the same way in a business. It works that way for those of you that are entrepreneurs in this room. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Sam Walton. Presbyterian, good Puritan thinking 
foundation of America kind of idea that the Puritans taught us that you work like it all depends on you, but you pray like it all depends on God. You work hard and you pray and you trust God. Walton said it this way. He said, I found out a long time ago that I could become a millionaire just by working a half day. I just had to decide which 12 hours it was going to be. Too many folks want to hear half day as in half of an eight-hour day. Eight-hour workday really is a very, very new, very recent historically concoction. You, as, you know as well as I do that your grandparents and your great-grandparents got up at sunrise and they worked until sundown. They worked all day long, worked hard. Hard for the money, so hard for the money. I wanted to get up this morning to the Donald Trump song, money, 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 money. Because Jesus actually told us that there is a godly kingdom use for this thing. There is a proper perspective that we're supposed to have on this filthy lucre. There is a, a biblical understanding. And as, as we look at it this morning, number two, I want you to see this principle. It's called the principle of the first fruits. Everybody say first fruits. First fruits is found in the scripture that we read. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your increase, the NIV says. ESV says, honor the Lord with the first, first fruits of your wealth and all of your produce. And your barns shall be filled with plenty and your presses, NIV says, shall spring forth with new wine. This is the idea of giving to God first, getting in a line with God, in alignment. Because God has created man for this purpose, Genesis 1.26. Everybody say communion, communion. Dominion. dominion. Say it again, communion, communion. Dominion. dominion. Better way to say it. He's created us for a relationship with himself and rulership for himself. We have a relationship with him, and out of that relationship, that communion, that intimacy with him, we learn his law, we learn his ways, we learn his wisdom, we gain his knowledge. We apply the word of the Lord to our lives, and then out of that, we, we walk in dominion. We, out of intimacy comes ministry. Out of relationship comes rulership. Out of communion comes dominion. We rule for him in the earth as God's co-creators, as his vicegerents, as regents in the earth, set as representatives for him. And if we do that, we must recognize that we have to learn how to handle money. Money has both negative and positive characteristics to it. Because there are problems that come along with it does not mean that we quit using it. You know, it's, it can be uh, a bad thing for your health in driving a car if you don't know how to use one properly. But we don't stop driving cars just because there are maniacs on the road. We drive them within the law. We drive them safely. We learn how to operate this powerful tool that we're sitting at, at the wheel with the brake and the pedal and, the, and directing this thing and where it's going. Money's the same way. It can ruin you or it can bless you. And the issue is God wants you to be able to handle more of it. Right now, you have every bit of it that he can trust you with at this point. The balance between poverty theology and prosperity theology is right down the middle, which is what I believe and preach, and that is stewardship theology. Be faithful and little, and then God will cause you to be a ruler over what? Yeah. 
If you're faithful in the little things, then God gradually, more and more and more and more, puts more responsibility into your hands. That's the reason that the worst thing you can do on your job is complain about your problems. Because if you'd get a Christ perspective on your problems, you'd pray and get the wisdom of God and bring solutions instead of complaining. When the solutions come, then here comes the promotion. Guess what happens when you get promoted? You now have the responsibility to handle and figure out bigger what? Problems. That's what it means to, to rule. That's what it means to handle authority responsibly in the kingdom of God. God wants us to do the same thing with money. He says that if we're going to believe him, this is, this is a, a question that has reverberated in my thinking for the last two years. And, and it is this, and a, a brother of mine asked me this. He says, Michael, I know you believe in Jesus. I just want to know, do you believe Jesus? And I said, say what? Good friend of mine, he said, I know you believe in Jesus and you preach Jesus, but do you believe Jesus? It was over a particular thing I was praying about. He said, do you believe Jesus? Do you believe what Jesus says in his word about this issue that you're facing? And I said, well, yeah, I think so. How many of you realize it's one thing to believe in a historical figure who came Revealed himself as the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's something entirely different to believe him personally about your life and what he said about your life, what you're facing this week. Lots of people know about God. It's something entirely different to know the God that people talk about. How many of you know you can talk about him and not know him? You can believe in him and not believe him about what your current crisis that you're facing this week is. If the gospel is anything, it is comprehensive. It will reach into every area of your life and touch and speak to with a definitive word. And then our obligation is to reach out in faith and trust that that gospel is not just about giving me a little soul comfort and giving me a home in heaven in the sweet by and by, but it's about giving me the tools to believe and trust God and say, in God I trust. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In the middle of an economic downturn, in the middle of a financial crisis in a nation that looks like it's just hell on wheels headed the wrong direction. In the middle of a famine in Genesis 26, God spoke to Isaac and said, don't see Egypt as your source, but stay where I've told you to stay and I'll prosper you. He stayed and he sowed a crop and God blessed him a hundredfold and he became a rich man because he believed, not just believed in God, but he believed what God said and he obeyed it. Obedience, obedience reveals proper alignment. I can say in God I trust all day long, but it's when I really come to where I put my, my actions, where I put my shoe leather on the ground, am I walking this thing out? This principle of first fruits. Multitudes of scripture here that I'm not going to take time to read you this morning. For those of you who might be students and are interested in reading, it's all over the place. It is both old covenant and new covenant. 1 Corinthians 15 calls Christ the first fruits of them that were raised from the dead. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit is the first fruits of our inheritance. It is the earnest. It's the down payment. It's the first fruits. 
In other words, what you've received right now is just a little bit of taste of what's coming. It's going to blow your mind, everything that God's going to dump out on you through the rest of your life and into eternity, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, 7. I love it. God blesses the whole when the first portion is given as a representative of the whole. The first fruits is the idea as this crop grows up and there was literally a, a, a feast of first fruits. It was the feast of weeks. It was opening of, of Pentecost and it was the, the first ripe crop that comes and they bring it and they give it and a sacrifice it and offer it to God and it's a great time of celebration and jubilation. The, 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 the first fruits is the idea of, of giving God what first is ripened and it's basically saying, God, now I'm in covenant with you. And because you have demanded that I give you first, I put you first, I make you primary. God, by obeying that, you've made the promise that if I sanctify the first part, then you will bless and sanctify and put your favor on everything else that follows afterward. I give God the first fruits. He says, I'm going to bless the whole. Christ is the first fruits of them that are raised from the dead. God's promised that he's going to finish the whole thing over the whole body of Christ. Going to sanctify, do the work, complete it. Joshua chapter 7, don't turn there. Verses 10 through 26 tell us the story about a greedy guy by the name of Achan. Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness and up to the promised land, delivered by the blood, the water, and the spirit got out of Egypt by the blood, crossed the Red Sea, baptized into Moses in the sea and in the cloud. They come and they march 38 years and they sit down right in front of the Jordan. In two years, God gives them the law the second time. Deuteronomos, twice law, namas. Theonomy is law by God. Autonomy is law by myself. We don't want to be autonomous in the biblical sense. I don't want to be a law unto myself. I want to be under God's law. Deuteronomy, the second time God gives the law because there's a whole generation of babies that are born out here in the wilderness and he has to train them and give them again. The law was given in Exodus 20 at Sinai. It appears again in Deuteronomy 5 because a whole bunch of desert babies have been born out here and God has a destiny for them to go into the land because he basically said, listen, every one of you in this generation is going to die. We're going to have about 300 funerals a day for 40 years until this whole generation dies out. And when all of your babies are born... Because you guys in Numbers 13 couldn't rise up in faith and go take the promised land. You decided to go conduct a feasibility study to see whether you could do it or not. And when they came back with an evil report, God basically said, for every day you wandered and saw the good things of the land, you're going to wander in the wilderness. And that's the curse that God brought. And a generation had to die and a new one's raised up and God's training them under Moses. The law of God is given and he's about to take them in. And Joshua carries them across the Jordan, and God says, the first city that you come into the land, I want it. It's all mine. Devote the whole city of Jericho to me. Everybody say, first fruits. Obey me. Keep your mouth shut until I say shout. Shout when I say shout, and guess what? That's a miracle in itself in the Bible. doesn't get enough attention right there. Folks, folks walking around the wall one day, every day for six days, seven times on the seventh day, and nobody complaining. Well, I tell you what, if I'd have known they were going to do this at church today, I'd have brought my new balance shoes. 
girl, these dogs are barking. I don't know about you, but I can't make another trip around this thing. Who is Joshua? Who does he think he is? Now, can you imagine? But the Bible says they did what he said to do. They kept their mouth shut. They didn't say anything until it was time to shout. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I want Joshua to write a leadership book. I need to learn something from him. He says, don't say anything till I say shout. And when I say shout, let it all out. And that's what he did. And the walls came down. And guess what? They destroyed the city. They annihilated it because the Bible said, well, give him praise. Come on, let's give God praise. They annihilated the city. And God said, this is a devoted thing. I want all of it. It's first fruits. If you, if you give me the first fruits, the first city that you come in and take, then I promised you that my sanctifying favor will be on everything that you do in the rest of this land. I'm going to give you the whole promised land. Well, there's one little greedy guy who walked down through the streets of Jericho and he stopped by the New York suit market and he saw a Babylonian garment that he had to have. And he's out there in the street and he sees 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold that weighs 50 shekels. And so Achan gathers all this up. He goes to his tent. He digs a hole, buries it with the... The Armani, uh, Shinar, I think was the brand, from Shinar. It was a Babylonian garment. He buries it. It's in his tent. And guess what? It comes time to run up to the next little town, which should be nothing. It ought to be just spit in the wind, and it ought to be the Israelites are going to win. Guess what? They lost. They lost because somebody disobeyed God, and they kept back and took the first fruit, the devoted thing that belonged to God, they took for themselves. And they lost the battle at Ai. And Joshua gets before God and says, what is up? He said, Somebody, they're sinning the camp. They divided them by tribes, from tribes down to families or clans, clans down to families, families down to Achan. Achan's tent got opened up, dug it up. Here comes the silver, the Babylonian suit, and the gold. Joshua had him stoned. They burned it. He says, God, this is yours. Forgive us. God's serious about first fruits. Look at your neighbor and tell him right now. Said, God's serious about first fruits. When we give God first, he promises he'll bless all the rest. Now, let me just give to you what this principle is. Are any of you getting anything out of this this morning? Come on. Real quick now, I'm going to put this in turbo. Here we go. The principle of the tithe. Oh, pastor, this was really good until you started talking about money to that degree, and you're going to get all up in my pocketbook. (laughs) Dr. Billy Graham said it this way. He said, if you really want to show me where your heart is, show me two things. Show me your calendar and show me your checkbook. Because one reveals what you're putting your time toward. The other one reveals where you're putting your money. And where a man's heart is, there is his treasure also. Notice it didn't say it the other way around. It didn't say where, no, I, I, let me get it right. Where your treasure is. Let me quote it right. Where your treasure is, where you put your treasure, there will your heart be also. That's the indicator right there. The tithe is an economic tool of dominion. A tithe means 10%. Everybody say 10%. It's a tenth. The tithe is holy and it belongs to God. Now, when we say the word holy, we conjure up all kinds of ideas based on our denominational and our Christian heritage background. Holiness to a Pentecostal is going to mean something entirely different in a Methodist than it does to a Baptist or a Lutheran. And so I have to define these terms because We have Heinz 57 varieties sitting here in the church, and I love that because there were 12 tribes of the covenant nation. One holy nation, but many tribes. One river, but many streams. One body, but many members. And so there is room for diversity. There are differences, and we celebrate. We're thankful for what God brought us through. Come on, somebody. Say amen. Amen. 
When we say holy, it very simply means set apart for a purpose. Say that with me. Set apart for a purpose. The tithe is holy and it belongs to God. Listen, Leviticus 27, 30 through 33. Every tithe of the land. Everybody say tenth. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. So it's God's. So when I give a tithe, I'm actually not giving. I'm paying my tithe. It belongs to God. Now, all the Baptists are saying amen right now because you know I'm telling you the truth. You were raised knowing. I'm what, when you got saved in the Baptist church, honey, they, they baptized you and handed you a fistful of offering envelopes, didn't they? That's the truth. That's the truth. And you want to know why? Because they understand the principle. Yeah, let, let me just tell you right now, for those of you that are sitting here thinking, oh, he's just trying to raise the budget, I rebuke you and I forgive you all in the same breath. That is not what this is about. I have sat back for years and just basically given a little principle here or there. And somebody came to me and said, Pastor, I understand what you saw as a kid. And I understand that you don't want this whole materialistic driven kind of a, you know, big fat preacher, big man of God mentality kind of concept. That's not what you're about. Let me just, I hope you guys know that. Let, let, let me just say this to you right now. If that were the case, I wouldn't be staying in Crittenden County, Arkansas. Okay. Or do you, do you hear that? I mean, there are a lot of other places you can go. Are, are, you, are, you, are, you, are you feeling what I'm saying here this morning? I am here because I feel called of God to this place, and I love the heritage here. It's rich, the food and the culture and the people and the heart that is here. At the same time, I don't have blind eyes about some of the things that I see that we wrestle with. Spiritual forces of wickedness and darkness in heavenly places that grip our minds in mentalities of ignorance and poverty. Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It's the holy. It's holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. Well, what does that mean, Pastor? Well, it means if you don't pay it, then God expects some interest added next time you pay it. Uh-oh. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad. Now, that's going to be important a little bit later. Don't differentiate between a good animal and a bad one, in other words. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. Principle. So when I set apart the tithe as holy, then God favors the rest. Now, let's just stop and think about this. Let's, 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 let's just, let's talk. I got $10. And I make the decision that I can do a better job with these 10 ones. Oh, yeah, God, I trust you. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. But I really think that I can do a better job with these 10 ones by myself. And I can manage... And I can get by and I can pay my bills and I can do everything that I need to do with these 10 $1 bills. Oh, now, Lord, I know that you said that if I would just give you one of them, that you would cause the 90 to have your favor and blessing on it. Um, this ain't rocking science, people. Are you hearing me? If I really think that I can hold back the first fruits, the 10th, 
and do a better job of doing it myself than I think if I have the God of the universe who created my ability to do the work that's getting me the money in the first place. Let me just, let me just remind you, one of the things that Moses said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy was this. He said, when you get into the land and you have all of this prosperity, do not forget that it is the Lord your God who gives you the power to get wealth. Are you hearing me this morning? You got to remember that when you go back to that business that you've worked these years to produce that is producing for you and blessing your family and, and also blessing the families of all those employees that work for you, you got to remember that it's God who put the breath in your body that woke you up this morning and still let you be in your right mind to go back to that business that he gave you in the first place. Anybody, are you hearing me what I'm saying today? So when I give the tithe to the Lord, when I say, okay, God, I trust you. I'm going to get in covenant with you. I'm going to align myself. You know, it's one thing to say, I believe you. I believe in you, Jesus. It's another thing to say, okay, Jesus, I believe what you're telling me here. Now I'm going to put my mouth to action and I'm going to not just say this, that I love you and I, I praise you and all this, but God, I'm actually going to do what your word says. I'm going to exercise this economic tool of dominion. God, I'm going to give you yours first because you promise you've obligated yourself. You've said in covenant that if I would give you first, then you would cause your favor to be on all the rest of the whole. Look at your neighbor and say, I need me some of that. That's what the tithe does. That's what the tithe does. It's not about making sure the lights stay on and the, the pastor's salaries in the place get paid and, and we can grow this thing and build the building. You know, I'm going to tell you something. That's the reason a lot of folks have said, well, why haven't you built before now? Well, we just haven't felt led of the Spirit of the Lord to do it yet. A few years ago, we're sitting out here on the property and folks started hearing about us growing and a couple of banks actually called wanting to, them, me to come in and said, hey, let's talk to you. We want to loan you some money. We met as a shepherd team, as a leadership team. We just basically said, look, the economy's not in the shape. We're not ready to take this step. Let's trust God, keep growing. Let's keep our focus on the life of God in this place and not lock us down into something where we're going to have to pull for money and it kill the very presence of the life of God here. I hate that. I said, let's pay the land off. Well, guess what? We have 30 acres out there now that we have about four hundred and $50,000 in that's already worth over $800,000 that's paid for. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. We have some dominion. We own a piece of the planet. That's the one thing God's not making any more of, folks, is land. And we own a good little chunk. We have a voice. We have a voice in the earth. We can stand and we can say, as it is in, the, in heaven, so let it be here in this county, from this place, in the name of Jesus. And as we begin to put our trust in him through this principle of the tithe and economic dominion, God has promised that he will bless your business and your job and your career. And he'll, what you've got now, he'll multiply it. If you're faithful in that, he will give you more and put more and more and more into your hand. I have some great news to tell you. We already have the money that we need to build that first building. The bad news is that it's still in your pockets. I'm not laughing. I'm telling you the truth. I believe God wants to absolutely honest to God in the face of an economic downturn. He wants to do for you what he did for Isaac when there was a famine and Isaac was tempted to go back to Egypt. And God said, don't do it. Stay in the land where I've called you to. 
sow the crop, and he reaped a hundredfold, and God made him a rich man. I believe God wants to bless your business. He wants to bless your home because God wants to advance the kingdom so souls can be saved and so this culture of this community can be turned around and transformed for the glory of God. I, honest to God, believe what I just said to you. I believe that he wants to give you ideas. He wants you to shake some trees in your garden. He wants you to decide that you're not going to sit there and just live paycheck to paycheck. You know, let me tell you something. The way you make money is you become the business owner and you employ other people instead of you working for the man your whole life. It takes responsibility. Well, I got one man who had some eyes open. Thank you, Bernie, for giving me an amen. Praise God. God wants to bless you with some economic wherewithal to be able to change. Let me tell you what they said about Crittenden County in Little Rock. My dear friend, Glenn Finter, who I believe is a true Christian, they said to him, there's not enough money to throw it. Crittenden County is a sinkhole. You can't put enough money into it. And when the state turned him down, Glenn didn't give up. He just kept going and going to different places. And finally, he ends up at the Donald R. Reynolds Foundation who gave him a grant of $8 million to build that new building out there. And I'm proud that's sitting in West Memphis. It's awesome. It's beautiful. And every time he speaks, he says he gives God the credit because he said the government couldn't do it, the government wouldn't do it. They wouldn't step up. And they, said, they basically said there's not enough money to throw into Crittenden County. Glenn said money's not the problem. We just need some folks who are committed. And guess what? It's changing. It's going to take a generation. We've got to be committed to this for a long term. We've got, let me tell you something. Just because you decided to close of this service, well, okay, I'm going to give God a try. I'll write out my tithe check today. Now, don't call me Thursday and go, Pastor, where's my, where's my increase? You've got, you got to walk in faith. You've got to walk in faith. Put your money where your mouth is. Trust God. God says he'll bless the rest. If you'll give him first, make him first, he'll bless the rest. And sometimes it's a season of walking that out. <clears throat> the tithe is timeless. I am not a dispensationalist. And if I even phrase it this way, it's going to sound like I am. Most people say, well, the tithe is under the law, and we're not under the law. First of all, the law is still, the law, the moral law of God is still every bit is in, in focus and enforcement as it ever was. People say, well, we're, not, we're under grace, we're under the law. Well, how, well go, go kill somebody. Let me see if you can get away with that. How's that working for you? That's stupid. Of course the law is still in effect. You can't break any of the commandments of God and not face consequences for it. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching real good. Say amen. But if you are a dispensationalist, the tithe was before the law. It was during the law and it's after the law. The tree in the garden was the first devoted thing, the first, first fruits that God says it's mine. Adam, Eve, don't touch it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Wasn't a bad tree. I don't know why folks look at it as bad. It was just the one thing that God said, that's mine. That's the boundary that says God's alone. That's mine. I, I, I believe that God intended to bring them into the understanding of it with maturity. It's like Adam and Eve were like, a, like two kids that are 12 years old and they steal the keys to mom and dad's car and they go on a joyride and they wreck the car. That's what Adam and Eve did. Now, God intends to bring you into 
the business, the family business with him, God and Sons Incorporated. He intends when you turn 16 to get, put the keys to the car in your hands and begin to teach you 14, 15 how to drive. And then when you're 16, here, go, go on, you, you, know, you know, around town, go to the grocery store for your mama. That was a good day when that happened in my house. Hallelujah. <laughs> Let me finish this. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek before the law. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus is fussing at the legalistic Pharisees, and he basically says, look, you guys, you're so legalistic about tithing on every little leaf of mint and cumin. He said, but you fail to tithe in weightier matters like mercy and justice and love. He said, you should do that first without neglecting those others. You ought to tithe on the produce that God gives you. He says, do the big things, but don't neglect the others that you are doing. Okay, Don't miss the forest for the trees. Abraham is our new covenant example in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. I'm not going to take time to read this, but I'm just going to share it with you very quickly. It talks about Abraham who paid tithes to Melchizedek. His name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And the Bible says that he was the king of Salem, which means king of peace. Well, now who else is the king of righteousness and the king of peace other than Jesus Christ himself? Theologians believe that Melchizedek, by the way, who has no genealogy, no mother, no father, appears out of nowhere. They believe that, it is, that he was an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, a Christophany. Abraham comes back from the Battle of the Kings. He's got all these spoils. Melchizedek comes and he serves Abraham bread and wine, the two elements of communion. The Bible tells us, in the book of Psalms 110 and then all over the New Testament, the most quoted verse in the New Testament is, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies my footstool. And it closes that passage by saying that he's forever made a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's the priestly order that Jesus is after. Not the Levitical order under the law, but one that has no roots, no mother, no father, one that never dies, a high priest that is immortal that has tasted death for every man and cannot die any longer. That's a powerful passage in Hebrews 7, 1 through 10. It literally says that Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek while he was still in the loins of his great-grandfather, Abraham. So it says literally in the law that the picture of there is the law is tithing back to Christ, who is the fulfillment of all of these things. So even if you are dispensationalist, the tithe came before the law. It was in the garden, the devoted tree. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Leviticus, we read, Moses says, every tenth of your herds and your field and your crops and all this belongs to God. It's holy. It belongs to the Lord. That's why all the good Baptist folks say, I paid my tithes. Because if you, if you tithe, all you've done is just given God what you owe him. It's his. You haven't given anything. The offering is everything that you give on top of. The tithe, the tenth. It's quiet in here. But how many of you know this is word? If I trust in him, if I believe him, now how does God think about this issue? Two things and I'm finished. Malachi 3. God basically says, you're robbing me. The priest in Malachi 3 says, will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? The Bible says, in your tithes, and contributions, your offerings, the ESV says. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. 
if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, folks, this is how much God is basically challenging you. He says, one of two places in all of the whole Bible that says, prove me in this. I love the ESV. It says, put me to the test. See if I won't do this for you. So that's my challenge to you this Sunday. You believe in Jesus? Great. Do you believe him? Do you believe what his word has just said to you today? You know about God? Do you know him? If you know him, do you believe him, what he said? If we say in God we trust, then are we lining ourselves up in alignment with him in proper obedience? God, I obey you, and I'm going to do what you say. And if I do that, you've covenanted yourself to me, and you've said that you would bless the other 90% if I'd give the first 10. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. I need some of that. America needs some of that. Since Dwight D. Eisenhower, our nation has gone from being the greatest lender nation on the planet, two generations, and has become the greatest debtor nation on the planet. Something has happened in two generations. And I believe that the responsibility of that lies at the feet of what the church is not doing. Now, first of all, just let me say this, and I'm, I've got one thing here and I'm finished. This is a giving people. There is, no, there is no beat the people this morning in this. This is one of the most giving congregations in this city. But I believe it's my responsibility. I got rebuked by a couple of older folks in this church here in the last year who basically said to me, you know, Pastor, we love you. We know that you're not in this for the money. But let me tell you something. We've got a lot of folks who need to know that God will bless them if they will be taught to put God first. And if they will do that, then the blessing of the Lord will be on their jobs and their families and their house and their career and their business and all this stuff put together. His favor will rest on the rest if we will honor him with the first fruits. Last thing. Do you still love me this morning? Yes. Listen to this. Nothing will reveal my heart more quickly. Now I'm going to take time to read a few verses here and I'm done. So just hang. Malachi 1 verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. In every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Three more verses and I'm finished. But you profane it 
when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it. <coughs> I just thought, that's funny to me. I mean, God does a Sandra Bullock. Yeah. You snort at it, he says. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or is sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Well, man, that's a note to end on, isn't it? What's God saying? God's saying, you want my blessing on your life? You want me to hear your prayers when you pray? You want my favor upon your job? You want me to bless what you put your hand to because you're standing on the scriptures that says you're like a tree planted by rivers of water whose leaves do not wither and you bear fruit in season and whatever you touch shall prosper. You believe in that? The Lord delights in the prosperity of his servant, standing on all these verses. But every time you come to the house of God, you're bringing me a three-legged, lame, limping, blind and one-eyed sheep, halfway praising God, going, when are they going to get this over? I just want to hear the word. About halfway giving God praise. Don't really want to do it, God. It's just not my thing. Okay, maybe you're a big praiser, but then when it comes time to put your tithe in, okay, God, I'm going to do you a favor and write you a $5 check today. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, let me just, let me just back up a minute because it isn't what, isn't how much, but it's what you have left over that God looks at. Luke 18, a little woman threw in two pennies and he, Jesus stopped the whole offering. There were some big Pharisees out there writing out big checks and waving them around for everybody to see. Little bitty widow woman comes by with two copper coins, drops them in, and he stops everybody and said, this woman's given more than all of you. And they get upset about it because they go, ain't no way. I saw what she gave. I gave more. Jesus said, no, no. <laughs> the value in the kingdom is entirely different than what you guys are looking at. I'm looking at what she has left over. She gave everything she had. God is interested in whether or not when we come to the house of the Lord, do we give him praise with all of our hearts? Are we giving him a little limp-legged, lame, sick, blemished praise? I've said to my musicians, don't give the world everything you got all week long and then come in here and give God what's left over. Sunday morning, it ought to be the best. This is the first day of the week. We're giving God the first fruits. We're giving him praise as we begin the week. We start the week. We're starting the week. We're saying, God, I give you the first fruits of my time in this week, this Sunday, this very first day. And I thank you that as I give you my attention, my time, my talent, my treasure on this first day of the week, I thank you that you're going to walk with me through Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And because I've made holy the first fruit, the first day, you're going to be with me and bless the rest of the week. He will do that with your time. He will do that with your talent. He will do that with your money and with your finance. He'll bless your business if you'll just believe him and actually do what you say. In God we trust. I believe that. I've had men in this church who own businesses, and they've come to me and said, Pastor, I've made a deal with God. If you'll bless me in the middle of this financial crisis, everything that's better than last year, I'm going to tithe on that. And there are businessmen in this church 
that will testify to how God has blessed their businesses because they've brought God in as a partner. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that. I want you to hear my heart today. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this money issue is not even what I'm talking to you about. God wants the first fruits of your heart. You know what? If you give him the first fruits of your heart, he has a way of getting all the other parts of your life that are yet not in order. He can get all those ducks in line. If you'll just give him the center of who you are, by his spirit, right now, he is sovereignly calling his sheep by name. I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes, everybody in the room. Nobody looking around. With all that is in me, I have delivered what the prophets call the burden of the Lord. God wants to bless every one of you. Though the first fruits, the tithe principle is a kingdom principle, and I believe God will bless it whether you even know him or not. I believe he cannot bless you until you are a part of his family. And I can't do that. You can't do that. By his spirit, he calls dead men to life. By his voice, he's speaking to some hearts right now. No man comes to the Father but by me, Jesus said. He is the way, the truth, the life. I believe that, that there are people that are sitting here in this room this morning and you've sensed the drawing of the presence of God and you've, you've sensed the moving of the Spirit in your life in the very same way that I talked about in Genesis 1 where the Spirit of God was hovering over the, the chaos. And some of you, there's no better word to describe than your life than in that term, chaos. It's filled with sin, sin that separates you, all of us, from God. But God's ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. He's speaking life into your death. He's speaking light into your darkness right now. And your response this morning is what I'm asking for. If you cross that line of faith right now in this service, and you sense God is moving and drawing and working in your heart, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I believe three simple words is all it takes. It's not in understanding all the theology of it, but it's just in beginning in this point, Jesus, save me. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. I've come short of the glory of God because all have sinned, and I'm part of that all. While we are yet sinners, Christ while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, for the ungodly. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If there's somebody in this room this morning, you sense God moving and working in, in your life, and you want to cross that line of faith. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you to the front today. I just want to know if you'd like to, for me to pray with you. If you would just slip up your hand right where you are, and you say, Pastor... I want to start by giving God the first fruits of my life. I want to give him my heart. Anybody in the room? Anyone this morning? I'll give you just a moment.
All right. Every one of you been walking with the Lord. You know Jesus is your personal Savior. Every head still bowed, every eyes closed, and you are willing to say this morning, Pastor, I'm going to slip my hand up because I need some help in this area. I need to trust God more. I need to walk in obedience in this principle of first fruits. And you're making a commitment today to say, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to put God to the test. I'm going to prove the Lord. Anybody, would you just slip your hand up this morning? Yes, there's several. Thank you. All over the room. It's good. Six, eight, ten people just raised your hand around the room. Pray with me right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the move and the work of the Holy Spirit in this congregation. Lord, we, we bless this city by the blessing of the upright. A city is exalted. And we speak kindness. We speak peace. We speak the goodness and the blessing of God to be poured out upon West Memphis and Marion and Crittenden County. And Lord, I thank you for these believers who in the second portion of this prayer have raised their hands to say, I need some help in walking this out and really putting shoe leather to this and putting God first and saying, in God, I trust. Lord, thank you today for these who've raised their hands who've said, I'm making, making a new commitment to give to God what is his, to honor the Lord with the first fruits of increase. Bless their lives. Strengthen them in the time when difficulty arises and it's easy to go back into an old pattern. Thank you, Lord. Lord, that you, you move and pour out blessings and favor upon their lives and their houses and their families and their jobs. In Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people said, amen.